Hi, I'm Jennifer Alvarez. 5G will change the world because connectivity is one of the keys to prosperity. 5G connectivity is both flexible and high performance, and these characteristics will enable use cases that we're only starting to imagine. This is Sean Kinney, and welcome to Will 5G Change the World, the weekly podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry experts to answer that important question. But first, in an effort to get to know our guests just a little bit better, we like to pose three questions from the Proust questionnaire. Jennifer, are you ready for those? I am. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite journey? Mm, my favorite journey. I, I've always tended to be a very goal-oriented person. So reaching my goals is very satisfying to me. What I've learned though, is that we can spend a lot of time and energy focusing mainly on the goals and not the experiences along the way. So my favorite journey is always a work in progress and it's the journey that I'm currently on. And question number two, what do you most value in your friends? Well, there are a lot of characteristics that I value in my friends, like having a sound moral compass, being thoughtful, respectful, and being willing to give of themselves. But what I value most in my friends is their willingness to be open. That is being able to provide feedback with sincerity and honesty, even if their viewpoints are different than mine. And question number three, and I, I think this has only come up on the show maybe once or twice before, but what is it that you most dislike? What I most dislike? Um, well, I could give an easy answer and say cilantro, but I'm going to give a little bit more of an answer, I guess, because of current events that are going on around us. I think these days what I most dislike is lack of tolerance for alternative viewpoints. Now, now, don't get me wrong, Sean. I have great respect for those who have strong beliefs and loyalties. I have even greater respect for people who can have these strong beliefs, yet can embrace others' view, other views and people who think differently. So back to cilantro, does it taste like soap to you? Are you in that 25% with the uh, genetic uh, olfactory receptor thing? I, I must be in that group because it, it tastes like soap to me. I just don't get it. And I love Tex-Mex food, so it's a real problem. All right. Well, now that we got that important aside out of the way, let's get into this 5G discussion, Jennifer. Maybe you could uh, start by giving us a little bit of background on Aurora Insight. You know, How do you go about mapping spectrum usage and infrastructure deployments? And then once you've got all that information collected and compiled, how is it used? Sure, well, we developed patented sensors that we use to capture radio frequency spectrum data. And we deploy these sensors at fixed locations in cars and airplanes, and even on satellites. In fact, uh, we have one satellite that's currently on orbit and two more that are launching soon. The sensors that we developed are so advanced that they're able to take trillions of measurements of the RF spectrum. The real key though to our solution is that we translate these trillions of measurements into useful information. If a customer were to use test equipment, they could take similar measurements in a small geographic area, but then what would they do with all those raw measurements? It would take a very large investment on their part to produce useful information. So instead, we take on the heavy lifting for them. Using our measurements, we're able to compare markets and operators. For example, we can map where and how 5G is being deployed, what operators, what frequencies, and what areas are covered. 
This can be used for business intelligence, but also for providing feedback on network performance. For another example, tower owners certainly know who their tenants are, but we can tell them what frequencies are active, what technologies are being used, how many antennas there are on a piece of tower structure. With this information, tower owners can assess lease up space and structural loading, plus streamline their RF planning. We can also provide this same information about their competitors' towers. You know, I've seen uh, pictures of some of the flight paths that the planes that you have loaded up with sensors follow. And I, I can say, based on looking at that, that is a thorough process. But, uh, you know, I want to get a better understanding uh, about, you know, what our audience hears related to 5G. It's a lot of yeah, marketing claims. They're usually pretty convoluted and designed to pick and choose the, the bits of, of test information and that sort of thing that supports these pre-existing messages. So maybe you could give us some perspective on how the work that Aurora does goes beyond that kind of, you know, crowdsourcing model, that pick and choosing marketing model to give a data-based picture of exactly where an operator is in their 5G deployment at a given point in time. We actually measure the RF spectrum. And from these measurements, we assess spectrum usage and create maps of wireless infrastructure. Everything we do is based on measured data. There's not theoretical models, not press releases, not other publicly available data sets. This makes our data independent and unbiased. We measure everything, all operators, all frequencies, all technologies, all networks. And we don't need special configurations to do this. We use our sensor. So another uniqueness in our approach is that we aggregate all of these trillions of measurements in the cloud. This enables us to use processing intensive algorithms, deep learning techniques and analytics to fuse data sets together for even better results. Our methods of collecting data scale from driving to flying to satellites. This allows us to uniquely measure vast rural areas where other methods of measuring our spectrum simply aren't possible. Areas where there aren't roads for drive testing or many people for crowdsource data. So we can give an accurate picture of a particular operator's 5G deployments in terms of areas covered, technologies deployed, towers deployed, frequencies in use, densities of deployment. All of this is based on measured data. Let's talk a little bit more about coverage and, and density, just to give a, a quick breakdown of where 5G is broadly in the U.S. We've got AT&T with some limited millimeter wave. Uh, they're using 850 for uh, coverage. Some of that's dynamic spectrum sharing, but they've gotten over the threshold that allows them to claim nationwide coverage. Uh, T-Mobile, the same, based on their 600 megahertz. They're in the process of layering in 2.5 and they've got some very limited pockets of millimeter wave in uh, New York, Philadelphia, a few other markets. And Verizon, all in on millimeter wave. I think their goal is by the end of the year to get to 60 markets covered. And as we record here early October, they haven't turned up DSS yet, but they also haven't made any claims about nationwide. So I think when that happens is still kind of a question mark. But I use that phrase nationwide a number of times here in my setup, and I'm just kind of curious based on Aurora's finding is that claim accurate from the perspective of, uh, of a user, from my perspective, or is it accurate in terms of just adhering to the advertising guidance laid out by various regulatory agencies? Well, you're exactly right. There's no doubt that 5G is expanding quickly in 
low band, mid band, and high band spectrum. Um, we've discovered Verizon 5G millimeter wave in cities where they hadn't yet announced service, for example. And we've also seen a lot of AT&T 850 megahertz 5G. They're, they're small channels, but they're still 5G. The massive expansion that we see in 5G is from T-Mobile after the Sprint merger. The combined 600 megahertz of T-Mobile and the mid-band 2.5 gigahertz of Sprint are really spreading rapidly. We even found 5G, T-Mobile, and Amarillo, Texas. And if you've ever been to the Texas Panhandle, you know that it's a rather isolated city, population of about 200,000 people. So it gets really difficult to accept the, the word nationwide and nationwide coverage when you start to look at rural areas. With our aircraft technologies and our sensors installed on aircraft, we're able to survey vast rural areas. And we've seen regional operators try to reach these customers, but we can't say that we've seen 5G all over the US yet for any operator, especially in rural areas. I'm trying to come up with a uh, Amarillo by morning up from San Antonio, George Strait joke, but it's just not occurring to me. So maybe instead of that, we could uh, focus on millimeter wave. You know, we all we all know that to provide consistent millimeter mage coverage, just a huge exercise in capex, just based on the propagation of the spectrum uh, as a function of the the density of small cells that you need. So. You know, maybe you could give us a little perspective on just how dense these deployments are in the market where that's a, a applicable question. Millimeter wave is really tough. Um, it presents some huge challenges in deployments. First of all, it doesn't propagate over long distances very well. And any type of obstruction, such as buildings or trees, can impede coverage. In fact, you can see that changes in foliage through changing of the seasons can impact performance. This means that, as you said, millimeter wave is a massive exercise in densification. So we see different approaches to deployment in terms of number of cells deployed and their density. We surveyed one area of a particular city and one operator had 35% fewer millimeter wave sites deployed than another operator. And the mean distances between these sites were around 500 meters for the first operator, around 300 meters for the other operator. But to your point about densification, compare that now with macro cells. In that same area, macro cells were separated by, on average, about 1,500 meters in that area. So the small cells were three to five times more dense than the typical macro cell installations. We also see different approaches to densification in terms of utilizing new versus existing infrastructure. Specifically in Dallas, Verizon is building out a ton of new infrastructure to increase their densification and their ability to serve more customers. But we didn't see the same thing with T-Mobile. T-Mobile seems to be focused on utilizing existing infrastructure. And this might be because of their efforts to consolidate assets with Sprint. So I also wanted to kind of look at some of the new mid-band uh, spectrum that was uh, auctioned earlier this year uh, with the CBRS uh, PAL auction. Then we've got the C-band auction coming up. And, uh, you know, as we see these winning CBRS bidders put this mid-band to work, I'm curious, uh, one, are you all sort of having to, to resource load more to track where this is uh, being made live? Or is that something that was already uh, able for your sensors to handle. I think you mentioned that they were all banned. So I assume it's the, the latter there, but uh, 
Also curious if you're seeing anything interesting in terms of where CBRS is being deployed that might help us get some insight into whether you know, the innovation bands proving to actually drive innovation in terms of allowing new market entrants like cable companies or private networks for oil and gas verticals that aren't telecom, that sort of thing. Yeah, Sean, we're in the process of conducting a nationwide RF survey, RF survey, and this includes all of rural America, so the entire continental United States. And this survey includes all bands and all technologies from 500 megahertz to 6 gigahertz. And then we cover KA band for millimeter wave from 24 to 40 gigahertz. So inherently, our sensors and our data collection methodology capture CBRS and other C-band frequencies that have not historically been used by mobile operators. With our measurements-based approach, we can see this transition from legacy usage of spectrum to these new CBRS deployments, and we will start to see the, the advent of 5G and C-band as that auction concludes um, later on in 2021. You mentioned this upcoming C-band auction. Well, we have collected spectrum usage information from all partial economic areas or PEAs in the continental US. So we have information about what spectrum is being used versus what is licensed, and we can see how it's being used. Is it being used for 3G, LTE, 5G. And this information can be valuable as companies are setting up their strategies for bidding in this December auction, auction 107. Now going back to C-band, um, regarding if, if excuse me, CBRS, regarding if CBRS auction winners are putting their spectrum to use, we've already captured activity in the CBRS band, but it's been fairly limited and localized and, and mostly used by the large MNOs. Interesting look. Interestingly though, a counterexample to that statement is that we've seen CBRS usage in rural Kansas and Nebraska by Bureau. We do expect CBRS usage to grow significant, significantly though with the results of the auction. We saw that large and smaller cable companies were auction winners and we can only suspect that they're planning to boost their offerings with mobile services. The really interesting winners though, and those that might show the real innovation you were talking about in your question are the unexpected bidders like utility companies and real estate companies. These companies are interested in private wireless networks for utility monitoring, indoor wireless services and the like. And speaking of private and indoor wireless networks, these can also grow with the unlicensed general access usage of CBRS band. You mentioned in-building networks there. Um, can you tell us in, in any kind of detail how Aurora is able to measure signal quality inside of a building? Our sensor that we developed is very small. It's the size of a, a hardback book. And so literally we stick it in a backpack and we can go and we can measure indoor coverage as a user would experience it. We're working on methods though of taking our outdoor data and translating that through algorithms into what would be expected usage indoors. So just if we take kind of a, a high level look at how US regulators have approached uh, 5G spectrum auctions and uh, you know repurposing of, of bands that were used otherwise uh, to 5G and compare that to other countries, uh, you know, from your perspective, what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? Assuming that the, the goal that they've stayed quite regularly during FCC meetings is to quickly make 5G broadly available to consumers and enterprises? Well, we all know that spectrum is a valuable natural resource and changing how it is used has a lot of implications. 
I actually think the US has been a bit slow in making mid-band spectrum available for cellular in general and 5G in particular. As you know, frequencies around 3.5 gigahertz have been used by mobile operators all over the world for quite some time. The US has been somewhat reluctant to make this change because of CBRS's federal use. These frequencies are used by some US military systems such as maritime radar. So there's this natural friction involved in sharing CBRS with mobile networks in the US. However, these challenges with CBRS bands and US military systems aren't limited to the US geographically. The military is gonna face interference issues in many places worldwide. The upcoming C-band auction, auction 107, starting in December is very interesting as fixed satellite services are now gonna be packed into four to 4.2 gigahertz to free up the spectrum for mobile use. New mobile users will have to ensure that they don't interfere with these highly sensitive satellite receivers that will now be in adjacent frequency bands. And this could really slow down 5G deployment. I think an interesting impediment to 5G deployments is actually at the local level and not actually spectrum related. Most local governments require permits for small cell installations. And this can significantly slow down 5G expansion. Indiana is actually somewhat of a trailblazer in that regard. In 2017, it adopted an act that allows wireless infrastructure companies to deploy small cells in public rights of way without the need for local government permits. Now, wireless providers have built more than a thousand small cells in the state of Indiana. So Jennifer, on this show, as we think about how to answer the question, will 5G change the world? Uh, I'd say 75% of the time it comes back to connectivity as an enabler of commerce. So do you think that the ecosystem of stakeholders involved in the U.S. is on the right path of, uh, I don't know, I use a sloppy example of a Venn diagram. Uh, is there going to be significant enough overlap to really leverage 5G as an engine for economic development and then as you mentioned at the beginning there, that prosperity that we would assume should follow out of that. Well, I didn't bring my crystal ball today, but I would say time will tell. Um, we can say that 5G as a technology is very complex. So it's highly configurable and can serve many different use cases, but that also makes it very complicated to implement. So we're just beginning to understand the implication of things like spectrum usage in different bands or even open RAN. We're still imagining use cases for edge computing. The 5G ecosystem is also very complex. We've defined some generic applications like ultra-reliable and low-latency communications, enhanced mobile broadband, massive machine-type communications, but the real economic development is going to come from the innovations that lead to new applications that the community hasn't even Jennifer, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your perspective and tell us about the work that Aurora Insight is doing to uh, map spectrum usage and infrastructure deployment and to uh, answer this question, will 5G change the world? Thank you, Sean. It is a pleasure to be here. Will 5G Change the World is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. The show today was produced and edited by me, Sean Kenny. Thanks for listening.